Week 6, Session 1. Now what? A post-encounter debrief. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. Hebrews 12.6 A new normal. This session is a special and specific inclusion in the course. It provides a few principles to assist those who have attended an Encounter God retreat to process the events of the weekend and to plot a course that makes the most of what they may have experienced. If you haven't attended an Encounter, still listen to the content as it contains ideas that will help you as well. Encounter God retreats provide environments that invite and expect God's grace to impact people's lives. There's no prescription for how that may look in each individual. It depends on where they're at on their own journey with God, also their personality, their receptivity to the subtleties of the Holy Spirit, their belief structures about what is valid and real, and many other factors that make us individual and unique. There's no single description of what it looks like to encounter God. The fact that some might experience physical or emotional responses is great. The reality that some people don't is great too. We can't put God in a box and neither should we put people there. But what we should all commit to is exercising our desire to encounter him more frequently. Spiritual hunger lies at the heart of the Christian life. That's why Jesus said to seek first the kingdom and to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to consciously and intentionally develop the right hungers. When we've been in an environment where God's manifest presence is invited and experienced, we need to reset our idea of normal. Once the disciples had seen Jesus feed the 5,000, he expected them to have their thinking of God's provision start from a new place. People can come out of encounter retreats and into their previous routine of life a little confused, perhaps disoriented. They ask questions like, Why didn't I see this before? Why can't life be like that all the time? Where was God in my life before? It begins to sound a little like Old Testament Jacob. In Genesis 28, it tells of how he went to sleep on the road that he had walked many times. He had a vision of God there and of angels ascending and descending. Essentially, he experienced an open heaven. When he woke up, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. Put that into your context. The place where you live, the place where you work, the meetings that you have, surely God has always been in that place, and perhaps you just weren't aware of it. Few realities are changed on an encounter retreat. It's mostly perceptions. We look at things differently. God is always with us. He always has been with us, but our faith and our understanding might alter. The reason this leaves us uncertain is that the life of today is just like the life of yesterday, only more real. And when we are experiencing the closeness of God and his empowerment to live, we essentially become more real too, more like ourselves, more like the person God created us to be, but free of some of the wounds and limitations of the world. That might mean that an emotional person becomes more emotional only in a positive sense. Or it may mean the more contemplative person finds more peace. Essentially, we are more like our true selves when we are closest to God. God doesn't want less of you. He wants all of you. Sure, he expects the sinful nature will be put to death, but he wants the real you brought to life. That is what the post-cross life looks like. Maybe you've come away from your retreat a little disappointed. 
Don't worry, that happens too. Sometimes we go with an expectation that God will do this or do that and find that he had other plans for us. Sometimes participants turn up having thought, well, God, here I am. I've turned up. Over to you now. Meanwhile, they have no personal hunger, no humility, no openness to press in. As we have seen, that is just not speaking the language of God. There are all sorts of questions to process, but we need to keep our eyes on the main thing. We live to pursue God, not an experience. One of the most potentially damaging dynamics of mixing imperfect people with a perfect God is the creation of divisions. We tend to draw lines in the sand based on our understanding of what is true, valid, and real. And mostly it happens with the best of intentions. We learn a new truth, experience a new reality, or want to guard against error. And so we begin to exclude people by defining them as different. God counts people as in, and so should we. If we've gained a new understanding or experience, if God has brought healing or transformation, we want everyone to have it too. In our enthusiasm, we begin to evangelize our friends, telling them they need to have this experience too. That's fine, as long as it's not drawing a line and saying, hey, you need to cross this line too. You need to get what I got. In reality, that very seldom happens. But people who have not experienced what you have often perceive it that way. When someone feels like they're missing out, they become sensitive and look for lines being drawn that exclude them. If you've experienced something new in God, the best thing you can do for those who haven't yet is to bless them, serve them, and love them extravagantly. That's what Jesus did. If you feel you're on the other side of that equation, excluded and misunderstood, you too need to show grace and press into God. We all need each other, otherwise the body breaks down. The presence of God requires us to work hard at building bridges with each other. God doesn't divide. People do. Don't forget that we're all on individual journeys with God. There is no prescription other than love. That's why Paul put 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, between chapters 12 and 14, those dealing with operating in power. Coping with liminality. The other challenge that comes with being presented with a realigned view of what is normal is how to find a way to incorporate it into your existing life. If nothing in your life changes circumstantially, your heart will inevitably atrophy back to where it was before. After all, that's how you got here in the first place. Your circumstances, priorities, habits, thinking and history all combine to find a settled state of life. An experience alone will seldom permanently facilitate change. It's an important and valid part of that process, but experiences are not supposed to live in isolation. The process of transformation often includes a condition called liminality. What this means is that when a person is transitioning from one condition into another due to the repentance and belief process, the change of mind this began with opens the vision of a preferred future. They begin to see what life should look like and they repent, changing their mind from old ways of thinking. But the capacity of their character and the habitual and circumstantial factors of their life conspire to make their historical reality invade that future, rendering it out of reach. Liminality exists when the new state of life is seen and in a small way experienced but not fully appropriated, and the old way of life is left behind but not fully disengaged. 
Liminality occurs when you are between states, not fully in either and often a little uncomfortable with the situation. It's a little like being stuck between two sets of elevator doors. You're not in the elevator and you're no longer on the floor you started in. You're sandwiched between the two and there's no floor to stand on and little to hang on to as the two states compete for a grip on you. What we need to do in that instance is commit ourselves to our preferred future by putting in place the lifestyle elements of the new life. We create a structure for grace, a framework that creates the shape of our new life, waiting for God to fill us over time and make it our heart-driven reality. If that's all a little graphic for you, picture it this way. Imagine your old and comfortable life is a fertile field on a farm. It's not huge, but it's yours, and you know how to bear fruit there in keeping with the size and quality of the field. But then a generous benefactor comes and tears down your fence, declaring you the owner of a much larger piece of land that includes your existing one. At first, you don't know what to do because the old fence was your protection from the foxes and thieves, and now you feel exposed and weakened, even though your mind tells you that you now have a great blessing. The new land is wild and uncultivated. There's lots of potential and a capacity for newfound blessing, but there's a bit of work to do too. Before anything else, it needs to be protected so the soil can be ploughed and the harvest gained. You need time and new tools and more water, all of which are available but have remained unused until now. This is what it is like when God stretches us and builds us up. We get a picture of what is possible and may even enjoy a walk in the field, but to appropriate it fully and permanently, we need to get our hands a little dirty. In Psalm 18 verse 9, it says that God brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Open spaces are a blessing, but can be a little scary if you aren't used to them. There is increased freedom there, but that freedom too needs a boundary fence, or else freedom can quickly degenerate into chaos, the opposite of shalom peace. The blessing and intensity of an encounter retreat often resets the boundaries for many of us. It pushes us beyond our normal outlook and even emotion. This week, we will focus on how to take advantage of that boundary shift and learn how to walk and work with God's rhythms of grace. For now, though, a few tips may be of use that will help you in the important few days after the weekend. Firstly, allow yourself the freedom to be real. You'll be tired physically and emotionally, and with that, you can expect your emotions and energy levels to wane. This does not mean you have lost your gains, not at all. It is simply your body going into recovery mode, which it needs to do. It is the process of recreation, of gaining new strength, even though it feels like you're going backwards initially. Try then to monitor yourself in a healthy way. Don't confuse a lack of elation, for example, as going into depression. Catch yourself before illogical negativity tries to convince you that your experiences were dreamed up or illegitimate. They were not. They may well have taken you to a new high-water mark in your faith, and when you normalize, you'll be at a new and higher norm, even if you dip a little low for a few days or more. Spiritual exercise has parallels in physical exercise. It operates in a wave formation, with peaks and troughs that get progressively higher. The peak of the effort is where strenuous exercise is undertaken. But rather than build up, the exercise breaks down the muscle. New muscle is formed in the day or so after the exercise has been conducted, during the rest phase. We feel stiff and sore, but it is there that muscle is being recreated stronger than before, 
and ready for another push to a higher level of capacity. An encounter with God can be like spiritual exercise, pushing you beyond your old limits of faith and worship. In the days and weeks following is where the real growth happens. God is recreating us, building capacity in readiness for more growth. These days after your Encounter God retreat are vital in the growth process. Now is the time to ensure that you put in place a new and larger boundary fence to protect your newfound gains. These are the days when new disciplines are vital. They provide the root within that allows the seed of the kingdom to take hold. Please ensure you continue to dwell in the Word of God daily. Listen to these sessions one day at a time and ask God to protect and fill you with His Spirit. This week, you will begin to form your own growth plan. This is the most powerful tool you will get from this course. Ask God to help you do that and be in contact with your group facilitator if required. They are there for you now, wanting to help. Finally, take some time to write down what God has done in you. Put it to paper, then read it throughout the next few weeks. Celebrate what God has done in you and use it as a catapult to propel you to what can be done in the future. Habakkuk 2.2 tells us to write down the revelation of God. Don't leave it as a memory that can fade or distort. Write down your emotions and hopes, your gains and your healing. Let your focus be on that which God has done, not on what is yet to be done. He hasn't finished with you yet and will never relent on leading you on. The whole world does not change on a single weekend, but it can give you a small taste of what is possible. Dedicate the next few weeks to God, perhaps as an offering, and determine to remain open to the consolidation and application of freedom in your life and all that can mean. Your journal. There is great power in making note of the various waypoints on any journey. Are you in a state of liminality, not wanting to go back but still unsure what it means to go forward? Maybe you're at peace. Maybe you're confused. Write it down, understanding that this is not the end of your journey, but just another step on a journey you have been on for a long time. 